blessing to have you tuning into Soul Talks with Bill and Christy Galtier. We speak the unspoken feelings that aren't normally talked about. We offer empathy and turn to God in prayer. All of us especially need emotional and spiritual help in our families, churches, and friendships because it's in these relationships that we're most likely to experience hurtful conflicts. So we're doing a series with lead pastor couple Ken and Susan Baugh on repairing torn hearts and relationships. It's easy to subscribe to Soul Talks using the podcast app on your phone or by going to iTunes. We love having you in our community. Ken, welcome to Soul Talks. Thanks, Bill. It's great being here. Yeah, we are so glad to be in this conversation with you who are listening. I have Ken Baugh here with me, a friend of mine. We've been friends for a number of years and ministry partners. And we're sitting here in our podcast studio with our wives in the background. Christy and uh, Susan Baugh are here supporting us. Yeah. And you will be hearing from them week after next. We've got a series of four that we're beginning here on a theme of repairing torn hearts and relationships. So we thought we'd try something new here on Soul Talks. And so glad to have each of you listening in with us. We know that this conversation will speak right to your heart and to your family because it's in our families and in our churches and the relationships that are most important to us that we sometimes have conflicts and need help to talk it out and to listen to each other and pray together and work it out. But so often we don't. So Repairing Torn Hearts and Relationships is our series, and today we're talking about becoming a wounded healer. So I'm going to uh, read 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 7. We're going to open with that. I know you know that scripture passage really well, Ken. It's yeah, it's the, one of my favorites. Sort of the wounded healer passage mm-hmm. in the Bible, isn't it? Yep. It really speaks right to the fact that really all of us have uh, some wounds and stress points and need to be in a journey of healing and growing and learning, and our best ministry comes out of that. Yeah, and I love how Paul refers to the Father as the Father of all compassion. Yeah, it's a beautiful name for the Lord. And I think sometimes it's easy to mischaracterize God, especially in the midst of crisis and difficulty. We mm-hmm. we can distort who He really is, and mm-hmm. so coming back to scripture and letting it anchor us into who he really is, not the father of our distortions, but the father of the word. And that was a comforting passage to me for sure. Yeah, I love that. That's a helpful frame. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says to us. He's just bursting into prayer. Paul loves to do that as he's writing. The father of compassion. There it is. The father of compassion and the God of all comfort. There's another great descriptor for the Lord Mm -hmm. who comforts us in all of our trials so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Awesome words. Good stuff. Yeah. 
I would say, Ken, that you have been living into that passage, especially the last uh, two and a half years or so. Yeah. And the story that uh, we shared together, that you invited me into, uh, not all of our listeners know. Uh, and so that's why we're doing this series of podcasts, because this is a great God story here. So Ken Ball was a lead pastor of uh, Coast Hills Community Church in Aliso Viejo, Southern California, about 1,500 people in the church and served there for 10 years uh, faithfully a teacher of God's Word and a shepherd of, of hearts and relationships and a discipler of people. And the stress of leading the church became increasingly challenging for you, and you headed into what, in retrospect, I think you would describe as a burnout. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was a hitting the wall uh, of resistance in trying to create a culture and environment that really facilitates transformation of the whole person. And so in my own journey to explore the holistic nature of transformation, I wanted to bring that to the church and make that the model of discipleship. And not everyone I found out that not everyone is as interested in looking at it from that perspective as I was. And so it created a fair amount of conflict and ultimately resulted in significant crisis. Yeah, you're pastoring, um, at this time, you're pastoring a Bible church uh, with many of the people very conservative, and you would share that orientation, and yet you were on a journey of going deeper into your feelings and into the inward journey of being formed more in the image of Jesus and just really dealing honestly with brokenness and pain and stress and sin and the conflicts of life and bringing that into the discipleship process and there was some tensions that were emerging around that. Yeah, it was really looking at a more uh, robust, having a more robust understanding of what transformation looks like and how it includes thought, emotion, and will, those aspects of our inner being that you can't separate. You know, typically in the evangelical church, we can tend to uh, err on the side of dealing with everything from a cognitive standpoint. Mm -hmm. and ignore the the emotional aspect of who we are as creating the image of God. And so as I was trying to bring in a more uh, robust understanding of that, that's where we kind of were hitting some resistance. Yeah. And the irony is, as you've uh, told me later, that you uh, realized that even as you were pressing into this um, teaching and this way of discipling that was dealing with the heart and emotions and needs and, and stress, you were realizing that you had sort of lost your own heart and and gotten stuck up in kind of in your head and just the responsibilities and busyness of of being a lead pastor. And so some of the conflict that that emerged when there was a problem with the elders then, that's when it really, you find yourself in a pressure cooker and a lot of that internal stuff in you started to come out. Yeah. And I was learning a lot about myself in that process. Mm -hmm. And when I wasn't able to meet the expectations of those around me that had, it created a stress point in me wanting to please and be effective in what I was doing, you know, specifically from an elder standpoint. And so uh, the pressure of not being able to meet those expectations and having, you know, the desire to created a dissonance there. And over time, I mean, over years of time, it just slowly kept draining me, you know, my tank lower and lower and lower. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately is what led to the burnout. Yeah. So w- w- describe for us what your experience of burnout was like. What, what were your emotions? What was going on for you? So 
it was a place of stress that basically robbed me of creativity. Mm. And so I could, I found myself able to get from weekend to weekend. You know, the preaching process is a difficult one and it's hard for people who don't, haven't done it to understand it because it takes so much to do. And I was putting in 15, easy 15 to 20 hours a week, just in sermon prep and then recovering from the sermon. And then thinking about the next sermon that comes up and just the pressure and stress of that uh, on a week to week basis is a lot. And so I found myself able to navigate that, but not being able to navigate all the leadership demands and responsibilities, leading a large staff and providing the vision and the encouragement and direction and support and all that was needed in addition to being able to preach at a pretty high level of expectation. And uh, it just, over time, it, it just continued to impact my ability to lead well. And that ultimately impacted, you know, the elders and the staff more directly than it did the congregation. And so I thought I was doing okay because the congregation was responding well to my mm-hmm. preaching. Yeah. And that's how I was kind of measuring what I'm supposed to be doing anyway. And I was probably less involved in neglecting some of the areas of my leadership responsibility and just the aggregate of time. And those things just took its toll. Yeah. So that stress is just compounding and you're carrying an increasing weight and uh, anxiety began uh, getting worse for you. And so there were some points where you've said that driving up to the church there at the end, sort of before the meltdown, I mean, you're like in some panic and and just like, gosh, I want to turn around and get out of here. Yeah. I think for just kind of the way that I'm wired when you're not meeting people's expectations Mm -hmm. for me, that, that was just an untenable situation. So knowing that when I was coming onto the campus, there were people on my staff and elders that were not happy with what I was doing or how I was doing it. And knowing that created a stress response in me mm-hmm. that did not bring out the best in me. Mm. Yeah. So in part of the dynamic here is that, as you said, you're eager to support, to help, to accomplish, to please. And so you're, you're having perceptions of people's expectations of you that are probably in some cases, there's even more weight that you're putting on yourself with self-expectation and self-criticism on top of people who have communicated some disappointment or some criticism. So it's really, was really burdening you and, and weighing you down. Yeah. I mean, it was just picture a backpack and you keep putting rocks in it. Yeah. And over time you just, you can't lift it anymore. Yeah. You don't have this, you just don't have the strength. Yeah. Just one more rock, but at some point it's just, you're, you're falling to the ground. Yeah. And I don't think I was taking good care of myself in recharging and resting and doing the things that I needed to be doing and setting limits and boundaries and addressing the expectations and the conflict that was there more directly instead of avoiding it or trying to appease or Mm -hmm. trying to be a pleaser. I wanted everybody to like me. And so when you're in a position of senior leadership that you just can't have that. And so that in and of itself was difficult having to make difficult decisions and affected other people you know, I mean, even in my tenure at Coast Hills, we had a couple layoffs and just over time, just all of those different kind of things from a relational standpoint just took its toll on me. And I didn't do an effective enough job at managing that and working through that in the time I was doing that. And it just kind of caught up to me at the end. 
Yeah, well, so it's a lot of stress. And you commented that it didn't bring out the best in you. Uh, could you tell us more about that sort of under all that load of, of stress and discouragement that was setting in and uh, avoiding some of the conflicts and leadership challenges, which we can all, I'm, I'm sure our listeners can relate to, anybody that uh, is tuning into Soul Talks, uh, people of the heart out there, they're listening in with us. You know, we, we're sensitive to, uh, to conflict and to pain. And most of us, you know, we want to do our best and we want to help people and we want to bless people. And so when you're sensing that some people aren't happy with you, uh, you know, it takes energy to deal with those conflicts. So I can really understand how you, you know, maybe avoid and fall into a pattern of that. And so you're giving us a picture of internalizing all of this stress, you know, where there's conversations that need to happen, but well, not today, you know, type thing. And then you're trying to balance so, and juggle so much here. It's just really weighing you down. So frustration is building. And then as many of you don't know that uh, Ken brought me into, um, well, why don't you tell a little bit of that story? How did you and I meet and how did I get involved in the Coast Hills Church? Uh, yeah, so the process kind of came to a head uh, at a planning meeting for a new series. And uh, I was to come into that meeting with some thoughts and ideas to lead the programming team in that direction. And I remember the night before I was supposed to go into that meeting, I just didn't have anything. I just hit this wall. Mm-hmm. And I that had never happened to me before. I mean, you know, 25 years of preaching and teaching. And then all of a sudden it's just not there. And I, I panicked. I, th- I think that's probably what it was. It was just this anxiety attack mm-hmm. and went into that meeting the next morning and it didn't go well. And afterwards I called the team into my office and just shared with them kind of how I was feeling. And I was just exhausted and my creativity was gone. My ability to, it, it just, I, I'd never been in that situation before. Mm-hmm. I didn't, it was so unfamiliar. It was, I didn't know what to do. And I think I overshared in that meeting and one thing led to another. And about a week later, my executive pastor and another one of the pastors came in and sat on my couch and looked me in the eye and said, we don't think you should be the senior pastor any longer. Mm. So I had enough sense at that point (laughs) to realize this is not good. And after they, I mean, that was a short conversation. Where are we going to go after that? And so I called the chairman of the board immediately and shared with him kind of what was going on. And it just moved very quickly forward to that. And that's when I approached you because they came to me and had some thoughts and ideas of what needed to happen that I didn't agree with. And so there was tension there and conflict and disagreement. And we, I really felt like certainly I needed some objective eyes on this. And I thought the whole process did as well. And so it wasn't long after that where Susan and I ended up in your and Christie's backyard, um, kind of going through some of the realities we were facing. Yeah. We were just saying a few minutes ago, it just seems like that was like a month ago, but it's uh, almost two and a half years ago. It's amazing to me, Bill, how long it takes to really grieve and process well. Yeah. And I know you and I have talked a lot about that, and I've shared yeah. with you my frustration, because yeah. I remember the first time we actually started meeting together formally, I asked you, I said, so how long is this going to take? And you told me, eh, it's about a year. And I said, you're crazy. I don't have a year. Yeah. I got to get done. You know, I had this mindset of efficiency here, and just the heart doesn't work that way. And I've just realized that it takes a lot longer because there's so many other things that are unresolved connected to the current crisis that that really exacerbate it, but also need to be kind of the, the layers need to be peeled back. And that just takes time. 
Yeah, and so then there was conflict with the elders and the elder board meetings, and you brought me into those meetings as an advocate, and I will never forget that experience because in terms of how it felt to me, it felt like, wow, Ken doesn't have a friend in this room. Now, even the saying that I knew that that wasn't true, I knew that these elders loved you and you had a long history together and they were good men, but in the crisis and stress of what was being dealt with and then the the disagreements that were emerging between, you know, sort of them and you and uh, they're trying to decide what to do for the church. To me, it just felt like you were in an inquisition and they didn't ask me to be there. You know, you kind of said, I need an advocate. And so they sort of tolerated me being there and they were, were um, you know, it's good that they did that for your sake and speaks, I think, well of them that they did. And yet it was a very messy, difficult process. And I was just kind of taking the blows with you and felt rather impotent as a psychologist and a pastor and a mentor because I wasn't really being brought in as a consultant to speak to what, the dynamics that were going on in the room at that point in time. Now, we'll, right. we'll, this, there's a lot to this story, and later they did bring me in, and we'll talk about that in another Soul Talks uh, episode here coming up. But just at that time, I just wanted to bring out that it's like, wow, I mean, I was feeling the attacks with you, and I was feeling the, the misunderstanding and the hurt and the anxiety and like, gosh, what's going to happen to, to Ken's pastorate here and, and to Susan, you know, your wife and your, your girls and, and the church and people in the church I know. And I'm just, you know, I'm just feeling all this with you. And, you know, it's the best I could just do to sometimes say, hey, he's really a nice guy. <laughs> hey, he's a good pastor. It's like, Come on, you guys, there's another perspective here. Just try to get a little air in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, like I said, the, the, the stress that I was under didn't bring the best out in me. And so I think Part of what happened was, and you're right, these guys were my friends. We administered together for over 10 years, and there was a lot of relationship. There'd been times in their lives where I'd come alongside of them individually and personally with their families in crises and so forth. And so it wasn't the animosity that was present in the couple of meetings, especially that you were at, was difficult, I think, for everybody involved mm-hmm. because- they felt like they had a responsibility to quote unquote protect the church, which just ticked me off because it's like from me for what yeah. are you talking about? So they had their perspective. I had my perspective. I was reacting instead of responding just because of the fear that it set in that was being expressed as anger. And I think that was disconcerting for them because they hadn't seen me like that before. And so they're experiencing me now in a different way than they've experienced before, which I think just, added to their opinion that this guy's done. I, you know, And part of what I hope comes out of these broadcasts is that we can normalize the pressure that pastors are under yeah. so that boards can realize that when we hit a situation like that, there is a way through it. We don't have to terminate. We don't have to blow the whole thing up in order to fix what's wrong. Yeah, And I think that's kind of where we ended up because there wasn't a frame of reference for them specifically of what we need to do. Yeah. So the conflict uh, became uh, escalated and you were feeling cornered at times and uh, had some, some anger and some of your responses. And then that sort of gave them even more concern in addition to your stress reaction and being exhausted and on the edge of burnout or something. So then, then they're seeing you not be the gentle 
pastor and insightful Bible teacher that the, and disciple that they love, they're seeing you maybe be defensive or having a, an angry reaction. And then so that's just fueling their sense of, gee, this is just not going to work. Right. Yeah. I honestly don't think they saw a way out. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they were resistant to outside opinion in what to do and how to work through that. And to me, that's one of the great sadnesses that I have in looking back on all of this, that for whatever reason, and I'll take some ownership of that as well, because I know that I could have responded differently in some of those meetings than I did. And I don't think I helped myself. I don't think I helped the process. I certainly didn't make it easy on them, on the board, but it had melted down to such a point. And then, and I think I realized too that, okay, this didn't just happen overnight. You know, we're at a crisis place here that something, this had started potentially a year or two before yeah. before this. And I think that's, I started getting greater clarity of that, not by their admonition of it, but just by my kind of putting things together and connecting the dots and stuff. And so it had just gotten to a place where they didn't, it was irreconcilable differences. Yeah. There wasn't um, an outside person like I or someone like I could have been as a facilitator, a mediator, you know, a consultant to look at what's happening in the room on the leadership team here and uh, address that and rework things. So whatever, you know, outside advice they got, they did that separately, you know, and privately. And it wasn't like in the room with us. Right. The closest thing was me, but I had no power. I was just there as, as your support person, which proved to be very helpful for you because we would be in the meetings together. And first of all, you weren't alone emotionally in terms of how it felt for you. But then we would meet afterwards and sort of talk about how that went. And mostly, of course, I just would try to help you because you were wounded and uh, very distressed. But we also talked through some things and to kind of help you look at some of those angry reactions and things that was triggering in you from your your past and your childhood and so forth. And so it was a very raw time and probably was not on your mind at all at that time. You could have never imagined, I'm sure, sort of where God has brought you and that we, we can look back on that now over two years later and say, wow, so this was like wounded healer training. This sure. is like God doesn't cause these sorts of things to happen, you know, where there's conflict and people hurting each other, harming each other. Uh, but the Lord is sovereign over all of that, and he's, he has good and glorious purposes that he's working in the midst of e- even our sins. And so uh, somewhere in there, I believe that our omniscient Lord was uh, preparing you for the ministry that you have today to pastors, yeah. pastoring pastors, and taking you on a journey that was really opening up your heart and learning how to receive empathy and compassion and uh, just nourishment for your soul and repair where you're wounded and to come into a whole new place of peace and joy in your life and and a whole new intimacy in in all of your relationships. Yeah, that's all true. And looking back on it now, I have a lot more clarity. You know, God's sovereignty has always been one of those attributes of his that I've drawn great comfort from, especially in this situation, Mm -hmm. because I believe it theologically, but I now have added to that theological understanding a experience of his sovereignty personally Mm -hmm. that has been profound Mm -hmm. and has brought great comfort and strength to me specifically, my family as well, but to me specifically in trying to put the pieces together as to what in the world has 
what's happened? What does this mean? Mm-hmm. Where am I going from here? And there's been a lot of uncertainty and a lot of darkness and a lot of waking up at two o'clock in the morning in a mm. panic going, oh my gosh, we're going to lose everything. And, mm. you know, we're going to, uh, I'm never going to, you know, being terminated from a pastor position is not great on the resume, but there's some reasons why I wouldn't resign. And so they were forced to have to do that. But the whole situation was so dark and dire. And I've come to understand that that is a more common experience for pastors than any of us would like to believe it is. So yes, God has brought me and my family through the darkest time of our ministry, of 25 years of ministry, but I believe has given me a perspective now and an ability to empathize with other pastors who have gone through it in a way that I wouldn't have been able to unless I had gone through it. So going right back to Paul's, you know, admonition there in Second Corinthians is yeah. so key to this because he comforts us so that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have, we ourselves mm-hmm. have received. And so this new ministry that has opened up is not only is it exciting because I'm able to come into and help other people, but it continues to provide healing as I continue to process what I've been through, mm-hmm. not blaming and not being a victim but taking responsibility, but also having some clarity and objectivity uh, that time gives us, especially when you have wise counsel advising you along the way. Yeah, Henry Nouwen has, has made this language of the wounded healer known to many of us. It actually comes from Carl Jung and even before him in an in, in ancient Greek myth. But yeah, you're living that out. And what Henry Nouwen talks about is that we actually offer our wounds, our broken places, our hurt places uh, in the service of others. And this is what Paul is writing about. Yeah, and I think it becomes an act of worship. Hmm. Because when you can embrace the pain in life as part of God's equipping you to minister to others, it just gives you a different perspective of it. Yes. And I believe, metaphorically, that I will always walk with a limp. But that doesn't mean that the pain hasn't been healed. It's just part of my story now, like a scar doesn't ever go away but it doesn't cause you pain any longer. I'm not quite there yet because there's still pain, but I'm really hoping that at the 36 month time frame, yeah. something magic is going to happen. I'm all of a sudden going to be better, Yeah, but it, it's gotten a lot better. Yeah. And this really helps pastors and other leaders, uh, business leaders that you're, you're working with and in discipling and in soul care. It helps them to, to feel safe and to trust you that you've been broken, you've been bloodied, and you've you've been through uh, anxiety and discouragement and stress overload and burnout and conflict, and you've met the Lord in all of that, and He's He's brought a great uh, healing and recovery for you. So, yeah, in a very profound way. Yeah, really appreciate you sharing your story with us, and I'm glad that we can continue this and a few more uh, podcast episodes here. So, I'd like our listeners to know how they could contact you. Yeah, so my ministry is the Institute for Discipleship Training, idtministries.com is our website, and uh, that's probably the easiest way. Great. And uh, so those of you that want to get the whole story, if you go onto the Soul Shepherding website, we've got a video. It's called Reconciling a Pastor and Elder Board. You just uh, do an internet search on Soul Shepherding plus Reconciling a Pastor and Elder Board, and the video will pop right up there. It's an hour and... You'll get highlights from the reconciliation service at Coast Hills Community Church. It's a beautiful ending as to how God worked through the elders and other church leaders and the whole church body. And we'll be telling you more of that story. 
as we continue on, uh, on Soul Talks. So let me offer a prayer for us. Oh, God of all comfort, Father of compassion, Jesus, our Lord, Holy Spirit, oh God, three in one, one in three, there is no division in you. You are love. You are holy. And we have gotten to experience some of that by your mercy to us through Christ in the story of reconciliation at Coast Hills Community Church. How We thank you, God, for how you have worked even through a process that was messy and at the beginning was way off track, but you brought it back on track and there was uh, understanding and forgiveness and confession and apologies and humility and, uh, and the people in the church got to see that and participate in that and celebrate your grace, Lord God. So we just rejoice in that and pray now, Lord, that this story would touch our listeners right where they need it in their life in their family, in their church. We thank you, God, that through Christ and through a process of of trusting you and being honest and, and working things through, speaking the truth in love, that emotional healing, repair, reconciliation is possible. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Many of you tell us that having friends listen to Soul Talks helps deepen your relationships and strengthen your love for the Lord. It's exciting to see our Soul Talks community growing. We've had over 40,000 listens in our first year. It's easy to use the share button on your podcast app or iTunes to pass on Soul Talks to your friends. Also, all of our podcast episodes are on soulshepherding.org, so you can paste the link into an email. We love hearing your comments and questions. You can connect with us on our website, on social media, or by replying to our weekly Soul Shepherding devotional email.